Welcome to Frank Fryer Fridays. This is Father Patrick Bykowskis broadcasting from St. Louis, Missouri, St. Dominic Priory. I'm recording this on the day after Thanksgiving, so it seemed most appropriate to begin with a prayer of thanks, good and gracious God. We give you thanks today as we do on all days. First and foremost, for the gift of creation and the gift of life. We ask you to bless us and nourish us and sustain us and strengthen our ability to do your will. We pray in thanksgiving for all who have been involved in our thanksgiving celebrations. You tell us, Lord, that to whom much is given, much is expected. May the food that we have shared this weekend and the fellowship that we enjoy not only serve as clear reminders of your love for us, but of your call for us to share your love and to serve our brothers and sisters, especially those most in need. We ask this as we ask all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. It seemed appropriate, as I was thinking about today's broadcast, that I reflect on the many thanksgivings that I have enjoyed in my lifetime. And there are several that are real standouts. And I'm going to share those with you today. The first Thanksgivings of my life until I went away to college were all, of course, uh, shared with my family. And we always had Thanksgiving at my mom and dad's home, my home. My uh, grandmother was with us well beyond my, my college years. And when I was born, as I mentioned in the very early episodes, we were living in my grandparents' house. We, I mean, my family. And then we, my, we moved to Crete, Illinois, when my dad built a house. My grandmother moved with us. And I'll tell you, there was a, always a bit of an Italian flavor there. My mother was an outstanding cook. Everything was delicious. And I do remember that when I went away to college, I invited somebody to come home with me. I have no recollection of who that was. One of my fraternity brothers, no doubt. They weren't able to go home for Thanksgiving. And so as we were driving from Peoria to Crete, Illinois, this fraternity brother asked me, well, what will we eat? And I said, oh, you know, normal things. You know, my mother will make a turkey and that sort of thing. But we will probably have pasta as the, the primo piatto, the first course. And he was, you know, a little surprised. And I mean, yeah, it's not the normal thing that other American families would have. But we, we would have, as deference to our Italian heritage, have something Italian. He says, well, like what? I says, well, you know, it might just be pasta or it might be ravioli. Well, he said, oh, just like that. Oh, really? I says, yeah. So he, he uh, is at the table. And my mother uh, made ravioli, which, you know, she... She didn't make it because it's hard, you know, but, you know, special occasions she would make it. Well, after the dinner, he said, when you said ravioli, I thought you meant like canned ravioli. I said, canned ravioli? I was, I 
was floored. I said, you think my mother would make, like, what, would you thought we were going to have Chef Boyardee or something? He says, well, I didn't know that you could make ravioli. <laughs> oh, anyway, he had an enlightenment that day. My mother, of course, would not be resorting to canned ravioli of all things. Well, when I went to Washington, D.C., what I thought was going to be a temporary move and ended up lasting 18 years, I don't have a real clear recollection of the first couple of years, but early on in my time in Washington, D.C., I came to know Dot and Libby Powell. They were from Mobile, Alabama. Dot worked for Congressman O'Brien. She was his executive secretary, and so I got to know her and then her sister through that connection. And they lived in a house that became known as the Arizona Hilton. It was on Arizona Avenue in, in Northwest Washington. And it was the epitome of a house of hospitality. You could go there any night of the week and there would be people there for dinner. And at one point in my time in Washington, D.C., I actually lived in Spring Valley, which was quite close, just minutes from their house. And I, I think there was a year there where I, I had dinner with them almost every single night. But I started going there certainly on, on Thanksgivings, and it was such a, a fun time. They would make things I'd never had before, oyster dressing, for example, but all the traditional things and a lot of food, black-eyed peas and uh, uh, and wonderful people. Uh, I, I, I made such great friendships there. The other thing, I guess, that would stand out for me when I think back on Thanksgivings is that in 1988, I, I, I stopped drinking. And there are several Thanksgivings that I associate with that sober time, so to speak. One of them is my very first year, so this would have been 1988, my brother was living in Astoria, Queens, in New York City. And so I was going to take the train up to be with Joseph for Thanksgiving. And so I'm taking the Amtrak from Washington, D.C. to New York. And I arrive in the morning on Thanksgiving Day, not thinking about what was going to be happening. Never crossed my mind. So I come out of the train station, Grand Central, I presume, and what's going on? The Macy's Day Parade, the Macy's Christmas Day Parade. So I come out of the, out of the, the train station and there's <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. I don't, and I, it was my first time in New York City. I didn't know where the heck I was going. And so I see this big Irish policeman. And so I go up to him. And my, you know, my dad, as I've mentioned, was, was the chief of police in the little town where we lived at one point. And so I'm very, always very respectful. And I said something like, Officer, please, could you kindly tell me how to catch the whatever it was, the L train or the F train or whatever, to Astoria? And he looks down at me, and now I have this memory of him as being like 6'8 and gigantic. And he, I, I know he was taller than me. I, I, I 
he looks down at me and I cannot use the words, but I'll use the first letter. He said, what the F do I look like? An effing travel agent? <laughs> I was floored. I was like, you know, well, all the bad rap Chicago cops get. You know, Chicago cops, well, they don't deserve it. I mean, maybe, yeah, in 1968, but not by 1988. They had, they had straightened up. And I always found them to be very helpful. And certainly my dad was the epitome of a kind and helpful policeman. So I thought, heck, I am not asking anybody. Here's the first person I meet in New York City. I'm certainly not going to ask anybody. It could even, It could only get worse if the policemen are that bad. So anyway, I made my way out to story, and I found my brother's house. Well, that night I went to a meeting, and I think it was called the Union Club, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So it was just a couple blocks from my house, or from my house, from my brother's house. So I'm going to go to this 12-step this meeting, not knowing what to expect, of course. And it was pretty full, and the crowd was was kind of rough. Now here I am, uh, not more than a month since I stopped drinking, and I'm listening to these stories that, you could make a movie out of the stories that these guys were telling. Most I think it was almost all guys. I mean, it was hair-raising, the experiences. The guy that was leading in the meeting had been in and out of Bellevue Hospital like 25 times. It was some incredible number, I remember that. But it was also an extraordinary experience for me because I'm sitting there listening to these these horrific stories. And, and I remember it so distinctly that I said to myself, Patrick, you are right where you need to be. As much as I might, you know, if that had been my first meeting, I might have run out of the meeting screaming. But it wasn't. I'd had, you know, a few weeks under my belt. And it seemed like just the place I needed to be. And I felt right at home with these men. Same thing happened a couple years later. And I had gone through a, a, an outpatient program and I became quite good friends with some of the other fellows in the meeting. And we decided to drive down to Richmond, Virginia for what's called, I don't, I don't see them doing this much in St. Louis, certainly not since COVID, but Alcathons and they would have meetings for, for a 24-hour period, from midnight to midnight on Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's, anytime that could be sort of tricky times for those that are having uh, challenges with their, their uh, abstaining from drink. And again, I, 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 there was a man leading the meeting who was, was five years sober and he was living, he was homeless and living under a bridge. And all he could talk about was how grateful he was to be sober. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, if I'm five years sober and I'm in such a horrible situation that I'm homeless, would I, would I be able to say those words that he did, that he was thankful for his sobriety? Well, it's... It's a it's a real it's a real gift of the program. I had one other experience I'll share with you that revolves around a twelve step meeting. I it was just a couple of years after that because I was living in Springfield, Illinois, and I was five years um, sober, and 
My mom and dad came down to Springfield, Illinois, had very nice Thanksgivings there while I was living, the five years I was living there. And so it would have been my, it would have been 1993. It would have been my, my uh, first year in Springfield. And the uh, program in, in, uh, in uh, Springfield on Thanksgiving Day would have uh, a gratitude meeting. And they would have four or five speakers and they would just briefly tell their story and express their gratitude. And I, and I was asked to speak. I was very honored by that. I was new to, to the city. And, and so um, it was an open meeting, meaning other uh, people could come. You didn't have to be a, a recovering alcoholic. And so my mom and dad came. And I gave my talk. And my dad got up right away. And my dad was... was was it was not he was very introverted i think you know but a lovely lovely as i've said many times i don't have to tell you how much i i how, how highly i regarded my dad but he comes up and i intercept him because even though this is an open meeting you're, you're not allowed to speak unless you're a recovering alcoholic and so i intercepted my dad i, I kind of grabbed him by the shoulders and i said quietly dad what are you going to do and he said i want to thank these people for giving me back my son. Oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by, by failing to recognize, for one thing, that, that, that my parents had even noticed that my drinking was so bad because I was living on the East Coast. I thought it was something that they really weren't aware of. And I certainly realized how very aware they, they were in that moment. And how very, very grateful I am again for or that how, uh, <clears throat> how I felt that moment, um, the, the gratitude I had for and bring and, and, and the reverse, you know, me being restored to my parents uh, in, a, in a way to fully appreciate all that they had done for me, the sacrifices that they had made for me and their sons and stuck by me and supported me. Uh, at that point, I hadn't run for office, but I was, you know, it was just a couple years after that that I did, and they were extraordinarily supportive of me in that effort as well. The other experiences I would share are much closer to the current time. When I went to Purdue and I became pastor at St. Thomas Aquinas, I started Sunday night dinners, and they were a success from from their inception. Uh, it, it, of course, it grew as became as students became aware of the good food and how cheap it was. And the first Thanksgiving, we weren't sure what we were going to do. So this was going to be the Sunday before Thanksgiving when all the students would be leaving. And I said, "Well, let's let's do a big Thanksgiving dinner." We didn't know how many we were going to get. We didn't know. Uh, what exactly we were going to cook. Um, and we decided, well, well, we'll just do all the traditional things. And we made turkeys and green bean stuffing, you know, and, and, or green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and stuffing. And, and, oh, and the, the parishioners were asked to bring pies. So how many people are going to come? Well, it was like going from zero to 60 in five seconds. I, it was 
a huge hit from the from the get-go. I think maybe we had 250 or 300 people that we've sort of topped out at 400. And I, I, I know they're still doing them because I was talking to Father Brett just recently about it and they had some supply chain issues. They had to farm out the turkeys. But what a joy-filled experience that was. And you see the student prisoners and the resident prisoners all come together on that special day and to share it in a, a way that we really saw the, the gratitude people had for all that we were able to do for them at St. Tom's. And this was the one dinner, this, this, the Sunday night dinners were all done by different ministries, but on, for the Thanksgiving dinner, it was the staff all pitching in. The other thing about Purdue, though, is that on the actual day of Thanksgiving, most of the time, and I was always sorry when we didn't do this, we would have all the international students that wanted to come over to our house to come. And I think the, it was the first year or the second year, I really made it, it was an effort. I was very, very intentional to get people from every continent except Antarctica, of course. And we did. We had people from, from six different continents. And also uh, some people from from Lafayette. Randy Stute was was a, a regular. It was always wonderful to welcome Randy to our house. But we would get all these students, many of whom had never had a Thanksgiving dinner. And the uh, interesting thing, <laughs> you know, I remember there was these two Japanese students that were, one was a, a young man, one was a young lady. They didn't even know each other. They just came over and. They had the smallest little portion, and I had to, I had to tell them. I said, "No, this is when you eat gigantic proportions that you can't even um, expect to finish." And they they were testing everything, and so then after a while, they they uh, had some more. Um, and then back um, to the present. And uh, since I've been living in St. Louis, I have been given, charged with the responsibility of organizing the Thanksgiving dinners last year and this year. And they were, I must say, great successes. And it's a it's an all-hands-on-deck sort of situation. And the meals are, are, are delicious. And there's great fellowship there as well. So I have really nothing but extraordinarily fond memories of the Thanksgivings that I've had. In the past, I, I miss the opportunities I've had to share it with uh, people, especially when I think about my, the, the, the wonderful times that we've had in, in Lafayette and Purdue. We don't have student dinners uh, for Thanksgiving here. We do have Sunday night dinners, and they're, they're wonderful. They're great successes. I'm going to work on trying to get them to do a Thanksgiving dinner here because I think that we would see the same sort of response. So... Thank you for those who have been tuning into this podcast uh, over the many weeks that I've been uh, blessed to do this. Uh, it's been a, a, a year with challenges and, and, and great blessings as well. And I, I, I enjoy this opportunity to be able to reach out to people even though I don't get to see you. I was back in Lafayette this week for Charlotte Scarcelli's funeral and I did get to see many of my old friends at um, the funeral and even with the circumstances it was a great joy to be able to share that uh, time with them so God bless you all and uh, see you next week have a wonderful Thanksgiving <music>